Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. What is the benefit um, cost ratio of a program intervention that costs seven point, sorry, not seven, 1.75 million if the savings that result are in three million? And so she just provided the answer choice that was the answer, but let's talk about how I would get from this information to 12 over seven. So when you're thinking about the ratios, you want to be thinking about that you want to divide it and it should kind of equal the same thing. So the first thing I'm doing here is I'm saying, okay, how do I have to stack this? So I want to do benefit. So that's 3 million over cost 1.75 million. So when I do that, I'm getting 1.7 which was not any of the answers. So I'm. what I want to do is take the answers, which will be like different ratios of different things, divide them all and say, which one is 1.7? So like one of the answers was 12 divided by 7. That also equals 1.7. So that's why it's the answer. So with your ratio, you more want to think it's when you're dividing it that it matches and less like the numbers that match. So you're going to see the same thing with the, like the calories to nitrogen balance because what you're saying is you're looking for one that's matching. So like it's going to be saying like for every 125 calories, you give six grams of nitrogen. So you're looking for things that are matching. So divide down the answers and then see kind of which one, which one is the closest. That's what I would be doing. So this next question, the blank effect helps to understand why research subjects receiving the placebo may have a positive reaction to an experiment despite receiving the placebo. And a lot of people said placebo effect, which definitely can work. Not the one I was looking for, but I didn't give you guys an answer. But what I'm looking for here is the Hawthorne effect. So this question is merging questions a question from like research and our knowledge of management theories. Because what we're saying here is the reason why the Hawthorne effect applies is because we know with the Hawthorne studies and the theories, right, from management that this thing, when you pay attention to people, they do better work, they have better outcomes. So like, let's think of doing like a weight loss drug trial, right, where each group is getting a visit with a dietitian and an exercise routine and comes in for appointments. Just the fact of kind of thinking you may be on the drug, having that extra support, having that extra attention, being like, oh, I want to lose weight, that can cause you to be losing weight, just kind of that extra support, extra attention over the drug. So always when we're doing research, we're trying to say, 
well. We need to have these two groups matched really well. So we can be saying the only thing different was the drug. But you're still always on almost every single trial. You're going to see people who did well who didn't even get the actual drug too. Here's another research one. And this one's from one the ones I was going over with one of my one-on-one -on -one students who we were reviewing. We spent a whole session on research. And this was a question that kind of came up in our discussion of what is the difference between the P and the R value? Because you're going to get questions where they're giving you a graph and they're giving you R and they're giving you P and they're giving you data points. And it can ask you about a variety of things. So when we're thinking about the R value, think R is for relationships. This is the relationship between the two variables. So with R, I can have any numbers between negative one and positive one. And the number of my R value is corresponding with the slope. So if it's a negative number, it's saying the more I do something, the less I do something. If it's a positive number, it's saying the more I do this, the more I get this. And if we have a R of negative one, it's a strong negative correlation. If we have one of positive one, it's a strong positive correlation. If your R is zero, no relationship. And if R is anything outside of negative one or one, it's invalid. You can't have a slope that's greater than one or less than negative one. So that's our R, telling us about the relationship. The more you study, the higher the exam score. The more water I drink, the clearer my pee is. And then P, what P is talking about is the statistical significance. So this is talking about the odds that my data is up to chance. So here we're looking at really small numbers. So you'll see like P less than 0.5, P less than 0 0.005, P less than 0 0.001. And what that's saying is what percent chance is the data just kind of random, not actually related to what's happening. And so the smaller the p-value, the less chance there is that the results are just up to chance. So the p-value is something you have to decide before you do your research study is saying, what percent are we okay with having our data, having our data just be up to chance too? So you want to make sure you're kind of looking over your vocab for your research too, because if you, and this is something across the exam, you guys probably hear me say this every week. If you don't know how to define your vocab in your own terms, it's going to be hard to answer questions. So just doing a flashcard with the Inman definition or the Google definition, right back to kind of that chart example, is not going to be helpful. You want to be thinking about what it is, kind of what it is like for you to be doing too. Okay, so next one we have this student posted how to solve this math question from Quizlet with no solutions. So warning about Quizlet, I love a free resource, at, you know, as much as anyone, but you want to be careful because this is what can happen if sometimes you're getting questions and there's not necessarily an explanation or a solution and Sometimes you don't know who put them in there, so sometimes they might be wrong. So given 
this information, what percent of total expenses for the quarter, uh, what is the percentage of total expenses for the quarter? Okay, so let's see the information they're giving us. They're giving us the sales for the quarter is 22,910. Net profit for the quarter was 8,640 and rent is gonna be 1,900 per month. So this one, it's not giving a ton of things, but I'm thinking, okay, percent, so I'm dividing, of total expenses for the quarter, right, compared to our sales, right, our income, you know, that's what I'm going to assume it's for. Now, you might be tempted to say, oh, well, the only cost I have, the only expense I have is rent, but it's hidden here. It's telling you the net profit was 8,640, which means if we take our 22,910 minus that net profit of 8,640, that's gonna leave me with the expenses because to find the net profit and the net is kind of what I take home, it would be my sales or my income minus my cost. So if I do that, what that's telling me is my cost was 14,270. So I want to divide that by my income, 22,910. And that's where I'm getting 62.3% if we round. Okay, next one. With this one where we're saying the recipe yields a hundred servings of what are we making cookies i think um and we're saying 20 cups of flour 14 cups of sugar 12.5 cups of raisins and six pounds of butter and we're asking yourself how many raisins do we need to decrease the yield to 25 to 20 sorry to 20 servings and what we're thinking here is that if we are looking at, well, how many cups of raisins does each serving use? That's going to be 1.25 cups. Then we multiply that times 20 and we get 2.5 cups. Now with this question, the student was saying, well, the answer on Quizlet was 7.2. I mean, sorry, 7.5 cups. And this is just wrong. So this is where, again, like I said, with Quizlet, you just need to be careful because sometimes it's not correct. So always good to ask those questions on the page too. Yeah, another question we had that was asked back in April, but people had questions on it again and started commenting on it again, was what is kind of the difference between a crossover and a parallel design for our research studies? And so when we're thinking about that, you want to, again, this is one where it's really good to kind of draw a picture on. A parallel, you are separating to two groups. One's getting the intervention, one's getting the placebo. It's running at the same time. First, a crossover is exactly what it says. We're starting in two groups. One's getting the drug, one's getting the placebo. Then they go into a washout period, and then they switch. So every person is still going to be getting... Um, is still going to be getting the same um, treatments just at different times. So then it's nice because I can compare myself on the drug versus myself 
on the placebo. Okay, next one wasn't as much of a question, but as a reminder, so I had a student who came out of her exam and she was like, oh, I got, I feel like I got a question about keto wrong. And we were talking about it. And remember, with a ketogenic diet, you're looking at either four to one or three to one ratio between fat and then grams of carb plus protein. So it's not four grams of fat to one gram of carb and then proteins, la-di-da. It's you'd want to add up the protein and the carb, and that should be your four to one. So it should be four grams of fat for every one gram of carb or protein. So that can get confusing sometimes too. Uh, we had another student who said, I kept I keep scoring between 60 and 68% of my practice exams. Um, I'm trying to bring them up before my exam, but does anyone know how this equivalent uh, is equivalent to the CDR? And what I commented on this post that I would kind of share with all you guys is that it's definitely hard to kind of measure your exact kind of practice scores to on the exam. What you want to be thinking um, about is trying to do at least 100 questions, whether it's on pocket prep or Inman, all domains too, because you more importantly want to kind of see, well, when I'm in a testing condition and a good amount of questions, where am I? And then also make sure that your exam scores are kind of going up. So just in general, like right before your exam, I would want your pocket preps to kind of be closer to 90. If you're doing not pocket prep, sorry, like your inman closer to 90% for your pocket prep, like 80 to 85%. And then the CDR, those ones are the hardest to so like 75% on those exams. But it definitely kind of varies person to person. You also want to think about what you were scoring before on your last exam as well. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD, every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, danajfnutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.